The gospel reading is from John 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the gospel of the Lord. Just before we are seated, let me pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence with us. And we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us, that you would open our eyes, you'd open our ears. Uh, we are dependent on you. And so we entrust ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, Merry Christmas. It's uh, still the Christmas season. Uh, I think we're almost midway through our Christmas season, according to the church calendar, as Brooke had mentioned. And that's why our Bible readings this morning are both focused in, in some way on the birth of Jesus. You'll notice, though, that our readings are not the stories from the Gospel of Luke or Matthew, not the ones that we're generally used to reading at Christmas time, but they're focusing in on who Jesus is from a little bit different angle. And I'm going to be looking at our reading from Galatians uh, chapter 3 and 4. So I invite you to turn over there in your bulletins and we can follow along. Here we're going to be looking at what the arrival of Jesus in his creation means for our identity. And what I hope we'll see is that our foundational, our, our primary identity is defined by Jesus' radical identification with us in our humanity and in our pressing into that reality. Our identity, both individually and collectively, is defined first and foremost by Jesus. And basically what that means is we understand what it means to be truly human by looking at Jesus. 
Identity is a controversial topic in our culture today. We have race and gender, ethnicity, social status, political affiliation. These are identity markers. And uh, they're generally the topics that we tried to avoid at the dinner table at Christmas time, or most of us did. Maybe some of us pressed into it, but uh, either way, they're, they're sensitive topics. And I think they're sensitive topics because they touch on the core of our being. Think about some of the questions you may have about your own identity. Who are you? What defines you as a person? Some of us may wonder, you know, why can't I just be free to be who I am? Or why can't you accept me for who I am? Sometimes we may even think, uh, why, why do we need to define ourselves in such rigid ways? Or maybe it's, it's a matter of still figuring out who I am. Sometimes there's things that happen to us Life events like a job change or a birth, a death, a marriage. Maybe it's a move or maybe it's just the, simply the passing into another year. These things throw into question who we are. And so turning to our passage, you'll notice that uh, we're right in the middle of Galatians. And, and right in the middle of this passage, in the middle of Galatians, there's one rather audacious claim that it, that's made. And I think it sounds even more audacious in light of the year that is coming to an end. That is 2018. In Galatians 3.28, Paul makes this statement. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you, all, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In this statement, Paul is keying in on some of the primary identity markers we are drawn to as people. In this one sentence, he takes on ethnic and racial identities, economic and social status, and gender issues. I think it's fair to say that uh, these overlap with a lot of the big issues that have been prominent in our culture in the past year. One of the things I've noticed in the media in these last few weeks is that uh, people are reflecting on the past year as they want to do, as you know, we face a new year, and they've tended to have this reaction, and it goes like this. Wow, did all of that happen this year? It seems like it was so long ago. So much has happened since it was 2017. And, and what are some of the issues that have, have been prominent in, in our culture this past year? Well, well, right now, uh, the big thing is our government is in the middle of a shutdown. And at the heart of that controversy, there are issues of race, of international relations, of political affiliation, of justice, and of national identity. And another big story that uh, kept popping up throughout the whole year was the Me Too movement, wherein we were faced with issues of harassment and abuse and discrimination the treatment of women by men in power, the treatment of women in the workplace, the treatment of women by men in power in the church. And yet another issue that uh, came up repeatedly was one of the relationship between authority figures 
uh, such as the police and, and people of color, and the violence that's become routine in such interactions around the country. And I, I, I broach these topics, I, I tread them somewhat tentatively, because I know that these are sensitive topics today, and, and for good reason. Something like Black Lives Matter brings into to light the effects of racism and slavery and discrimination, and, and these things actually touch the core of my, my very own being in a very personal way. And I know that the issues brought up in the Me Too movement touch on some core issues of humanity for many people in this room today. And I know that the divisive issues that get tossed around in the political sphere right now touch on issues that strike right at the core of who we are. And that when we step back for a moment, when we take a breath and, and we look deep within ourselves, we realize that these aren't just abstract issues that divide us, but they're flesh and blood issues that, that dig deep uh, at our own wounds and, and our own insecurities and abuses that we may have suffered or, or that our families have endured. Our hearts have been torn apart and we grasp at markers of identity that display power and competence and prestige. Issues of ethnicity, issues of gender and sexuality, issues of power and economics. I think we all desire to feel complete and to feel whole. And yet in one or more of these areas, we all bear pain and isolation. But here's the thing. These are not the primary markers of what it means to be human. They're important. They are aspects of our humanity, but they're only properly oriented in light of how Jesus is revealed as the one who integrates us together as human beings. Jesus is the one who mediates our relationships. Jesus is the one who gives our identity clarity. And as Paul says in our passage, you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now taken on its own, this verse from Galatians uh, that I've picked out of our passage can get us into some problems. We need to see it in light of the rest of our passage and the rest of Galatians and to really see what it means. Paul's calling us to this unity in Jesus and he's challenging what we tend to lean on to distinguish ourselves as he does this. So Paul's not doing away with all distinctions. He's not saying that gender and ethnicity and the like don't matter at all. But he's pointing us to the fact that none of these identity markers provide the basis for acceptance or rejection by God. And none of these things on their own make us a whole person. I think a good word to describe how many of us feel when it comes to our identity is perplexed. Or perhaps maybe at some point in our life we were perplexed and, and we found something to latch onto that gives us meaning or purpose. Or maybe you just feel perplexed at what all I've been saying. Um, and hopefully I can unperplex us. Um, but to be perplexed is actually part of the context of the book of Galatians. It's actually how the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the churches in the Roman province of Galatia, describes himself later on in the letter. He also uses words like astonished and perplexed as he 
tries to fathom what is going on with these people in, in, in Galatia. For some reason, it seems that the Galatians have forgotten who they are. Their identity has been thrown into confusion, and now Paul has to remind them who they are. And so Paul's words to them are the same for us. Remember who you are. You, all of you together, are one in Christ. So Galatians 3.28, this is the starting point uh, in the middle of the passage. This is, this is what you need to remember. This is where you find your identity. This is why God sent his son. But we need to unpack this. What exactly is this unity that Paul talks of comprised of? Well, Paul focuses on three things to fight against divisions that have emerged in the Christian community in Galatia. Divisions that are based on identity. And all three of these things reorient any relational identity markers that we hold on to because our identity has actually been united to Christ if we are Christians. And these three elements of Christian identity and unity are baptism, faith, and adoption. So those are the three things that we're going to kind of unpack in the next few minutes that we have together. But we need to know just a couple more things about the situation in Galatia that Paul is trying to address in this letter, um, which will help us better understand why Paul decides to focus in on these particular matters. There is a lot for Paul to be perplexed about. And so here's, here's some quick background. Paul founded the churches at Galatia, most likely on one of his missionary journeys. And it wasn't a planned thing. His initial stay with them was not planned. It seems to be due to some sort of illness that required him to receive aid from them. And while he was with, with the Galatians and while they were caring for him, Paul shared the good news of Jesus with them. And some of them responded affirmatively and, and a Christian community was founded there. However, at some point, uh, Paul continued on in his journey and he left that church in Galatia to grow. Um, and at some point, false teachers had entered into that community. And they'd begun to teach that in order to be a Christian, to become a Christian, one must observe the Jewish law. So in effect, what these people were teaching is that if you were a Gentile, it's a non-Jew, and you wanted to follow Jesus, you had to effectively become Jewish first. You had to follow the customs and practices of the Old Testament law that are associated with that. And if you did that, then, then you're accepted by God. Then you're part of the community. Um, in a sense, you had to change your, your ethnic identity in order to become a Christian. And this teaching that had entered in had caused a lot of confusion among the Christians that are there. And it was causing divisions. There's some factions that had formed in the church, and there's a split forming in the church between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And even some people had turned against Paul. And so this leaves Paul astonished because he says, this isn't what I taught you. What, what, what's going on here? So his letter to the Galatians, he's walking them through who he is and who they are and what the role of the law is. And so in our section of Galatians, it's this kind of long, uh, long discussion that he's in, and he's kind of getting to the heart of the matter in this section. So, the thrust of what Paul's doing here is he's reminding the Galatians and reminding us of who we are 
and that, how that is grounded first and foremost in the person of Jesus. So we've started right in the middle of our passage and we'll remain there for a few more moments before we look at, at the beginning of the passage and then get back to the end of the passage, kind of the bookends of it that are clarifying what's in the middle. What does Paul have to say to explain how our primary identity is in Jesus? Well, he gives us three identity markers. The first one, as I said, is being united with Christ as seen in baptism. So if we jump back to Galatians 3, verse 27, it reads, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You know, Paul does something interesting whenever he wants to assure people about their faith in his letters. He points them to their baptism. He does that here. In doing so, he taps into a core aspect of our identity. He points to the fact that we are not isolated beings. We're not actually individuals. An individual is a very impersonal term. It's not not a a biblical term. The way scripture describes us is always relational. We're not individuals, we're persons. And to be a person is to be in relationship. We see this right from the beginning of the story of creation in the book of Genesis. God, who is, is triune, that's three persons, is relational in the essence of his being. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit coexist together. They're united by this bond of love, and they create humanity in their own image, in his image. And we're told that it's not good for a man to be alone when Adam's created. And so humanity is made to be in relationship with other people as well as in relationship with God. And in fact, the foundational relationship that undergirds all of our other relationships is that which we have with God. When it comes to baptism, then, it's not just an individual act that Paul is asking the Galatians to recall. It's not just a a declaration that I'm making that I want to be identified with Jesus. That's that's part of it, but but it's much more that Paul is referring to. Paul's saying that we who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That is, we've been clothed with Christ. We've been received into a community by other people. We can't actually baptize ourselves. It's a communal act. And even more so, um, we're responding to God's action in reaching out to us and, and drawing us into this deep spiritual union with himself. The act of baptism actually points us to a deep spiritual reality. And as this is done, it becomes evident that it's not by any special standing that any of us inherently have um, because we happen to be of a certain ethnicity or certain gender or of a high standing or low standing of social status or anything like that. None of that has any bearing on, on getting us in. Did you start to see why Paul is so perplexed by the Galatians? All of these other identity markers are secondary at best. But if our identity is primarily found in Christ, then what we do when we gather together as Christians is is part of what forms us into our, our true humanity, which is in the image of Christ. Worshiping together, serving each other, 
being driven by the beauty of Christ is, is our formation as Christians. In fact, by the end of the letter of Galatians, Paul starts referring to Christians as the new humanity. Jews, Gentiles, male, female, slave, free, all are welcome to the community. But all are remade into what they're supposed to be, and all because those distinctions of injustice have no place there, and how we interact with each other must change according to our new identity. It's actually why some 400 years later you have a bishop of the church, Gregory of Nyssa, who starts telling Christians that you can't actually own slaves if you're a Christian because other people are made in the image of Christ. It's a violation of humanity because they're created in the image of God. I think it's also why Paul sends his letter to the church in Rome, the, the book of Galatians. He actually sends it with a woman, Phoebe, as his representative. We're all full participants in the mission of God to the world. So our identity marker number one, baptism, um, it's our identity is radically shaped in union with Christ and in community with other Christians. The second identity marker comes right before Paul's focus on baptism. In fact, it's the basis by which we even can be baptized and enter into this communion, this union with Jesus, and, and this communion that we have with other Christians. The second identity marker is faith. So Galatians 3, 23 to 26 reads, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Faith is repeated five times here. We're coming in at the tail end of an argument that Paul's been making through the whole preceding chapter, chapter 2 and into chapter 3 of Galatians. Paul's addressing those who think that a prerequisite for being accepted by God is observing the Jewish law and therefore it's required by all people. But our identity is not actually found in status and power. It's not found in working hard or subjugating others. It's not through promoting ourselves over others. It's not being part of a superior race or through advancement in sports or tech or wealth or something like this at the expense of others. Our identity is not found in any observance of the law as it is put in Galatians. Our identity, rather, is found in trusting Jesus as he brings us into a restored relationship with himself and with others, which radically changes us. All of these other things that we chase after, that form our identity outside of being related to Jesus, counts for nothing. The entrance is a gift. The words that Paul uses are, we are justified by faith. We come into the presence of God because of what Jesus has done for us. He's taken on her humanity. He's taken on all our sin, all that separates us from God, taking the effects of that sin even to the point of death on the cross so that we can be received freely by God. Faith essentially is trusting God with our whole being. And so Paul takes on the observance of the law, the things that must be done by a Jewish person intent on following God, 
And Paul tells us that the whole purpose of the law is actually to function as a guide or as a guardian is what he he says in in, in this passage. A guardian back then was uh, generally a trusted slave. So you, you had a servant, a slave that had been in the household for a very long time and they were given one main task. They were to take a child to and from school, but they didn't have any teaching responsibilities. Um, This guardian simply looked out for a child and then entrusts them to the teacher and then comes back and entrusts them back to the family. Uh, It it might be more like uh, like a nanny, um, you know, that picks up a kid and delivers them to school and then picks them up and takes them back. Maybe it's like, like a bus driver. You know, you, you give your kid to the bus driver, the bus driver drives the kid to the school, drops them off. Um, that's what Paul is saying that the law functions as. It's to point us in a certain direction, to deliver us somewhere. And we find here that the purpose of the law is to deliver us to Jesus, to point us to Jesus. Um, Jesus fulfills all the requirements of the law so that as we're united to him by faith, we're actually now part of this new humanity, and now we're now properly related to God and to each other. So the last part of our passage is Galatians 3, 29 to 4, 7. So, so we have three identity markers. The first one is baptism marks us, marks our new identity in Christ and in a, in a community. Second identity marker is that faith is the way we enter into this community. And then the third identity marker is that is adoption. The way we enter into all of this, the, the, the other image that, that Paul uses is adoption. So the last part of our passage, Galatians 3.29 and following says, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way also, when we were children, we're enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So there's so much more in this passage than we have time to get to this morning. Uh, but, but here we're getting to the, the Christmas part of our, our passage. It says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son born of a woman to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The reason Jesus came was so that we might be adopted as sons. What are the benefits of being invited into this new humanity by being united to Christ? This last part of our passage draws us out for us. Since we've been united to Christ by faith, as seen in our baptism, we now share the benefits that Jesus has. There's no point in trying to follow the law as a means of enhancing our identity, of making ourselves look good and acceptable, either to God or to others. No, we are by nature of what, God, what Jesus has done for us, 
in coming as a human being, dying and being resurrected, we are actual heirs. Sons, it says here. This term, adopted as sons, is important. What it's doing is it's communicating the benefits of being adopted in the ancient world. To be adopted as a son meant to be given the full rights of inheritance that a firstborn son would have in Roman society. You get all the rights of the inheritance. But here in our passage, we see the inheritance that we are given is actually God himself. It is God giving us his spirit by which we are able to have this intimate relationship with God. It's actually a return to the way we were created to be. Humanity is in right relationship with God. And this in turn governs our other relationships that inform who we are. And so we cry intimately by the Spirit, Abba, Father. We don't approach God as slaves, but adopted as sons. And we're we're united to the Son. And so because of all of this, because of what Christ has done for us, because Jesus coming to us, taking on our humanity, and then, and, and then drawing us to himself, we're given this, this brand new identity, and there's no place for competing identities when it comes to being part of God's family. And so it's only in worship, it's only by beholding the beauty of Jesus Christ by coming to God the Father enabled by his spirit, that we find out who we are. And and we discover this together. So in a world where our identity is often thrown into question, what we're reminded of here this morning is that Christians do not derive who they are from the common identity markers of the world. We submit all of those markers to Jesus. We allow him to transform them. Jesus, who in coming to us as a human being, as an infant, draws us into what it truly means to be a human being. He repairs the relationships that are broken. He he draws us out of our isolation. He gives us all the benefits that God wants us to enjoy. And this is all freely entered into by faith. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that uh, by looking at you, by looking at your son who came to us as a child um, in the most humble of circumstances, that, uh, that we see what it is to be truly human and that you draw us into this radical intimacy with yourself that you free us to be who we are, um, what it means to be human. I ask that you would continue to, to open our eyes to all the riches, the depths that we have in you. And I thank you for your son and for your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, Our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. 
If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.